His blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I need to have the Spirit of God help me to uh, give more and more credibility to that. More and more uh, belief in it. My problem is uh, not believing enough. And I can only believe as much as I receive. And I can only receive as much as is in the Word. So, I've got my work cut out for me. Uh, We're going to, after we finish with the presentation on the diversity of the gifts tonight, uh, we're going to have available, for those of you that are interested, a uh, spiritual gifts inventory, which is 192 threefold questions. Not a test, it's an inventory. There is no grade, it's not a test. Uh, what is it not? Not a test, that's right. And, uh, but it is an inventory of 192 threefold questions in which you are to tell which of the following three sentences is most like you which is least like you. Just got through with an argument with my wife. She said, they're all like me. I said, no, they're not all like you. They're not all most like you. They're not all least like you. And uh, so, <clears throat> and then it says to take a couple of hours to uh, do that. Not five hours. Not try to outsmart it. Uh, not... Uh, Uh, ask what is good and what is bad what is spiritual and what is non-spiritual not a matter of spirituality not a matter of good and bad it simply is a matter of uh, how you feel about these statements as they relate to yourself and uh, so they will they're on the back table there when people call in for this and we send them out, we charge them $10. And we said uh, to the church, when you, do, when you do up this material so that we don't have to do that, then it comes down to $7. And so that $7 is what you uh, pay when you take it off the table back there, or you shall forever be in debt for your license to God. <laughs> Okay, I have a uh, a uh, sign on my library for the students that borrow books, and I said it's a curse on those who don't bring it back. Well, this won't be a curse, but I think you understand. And then there are books like this that say uh, complimentary. That's nice. I, I like to use a lot of those. <laughs> okay. We've had a good day. Pastor took me out to be sure I got some exercise. And that was good. Because he needed 
So that was a good time that we had together. The first thing I need to do tonight is to take you back to my favorite theologian. And uh, Charles Schultz. We're in a family. And in a family, each person has a job. Here, write down what you think your job could be. How do you spell watching? Watching? That'll be my job, watching TV. Well, perhaps that's where some would like to sign off. But uh, Schultz is right on target. I told you that up until 1960, there was not one book in print on the biblical doctrine of spiritual gifts. There were plenty of books since the beginning of the uh, 19th century on uh, the sign gifts, on tongues and healing and that type of thing. Lots of books like that. But no book that went through the whole biblical doctrine of spiritual gifts. And uh, thus, uh, I think that I had the first spiritual gifts conference, and I told you last night who that was done for, for uh, Scripture Press and Campus Crusade for Christ and, and uh, Sudan Interior Mission. nothing in print on it and uh, I probably wouldn't have accepted the invitation but since that time I've done a lot of teaching on it and the thing doesn't seem to be much better so I think I'm going to stop Barney the famous uh, pollster for Christians and for the church issues says Most Christians have no idea what their spiritual gifts are, according to a nationwide survey by Barna Research Group. Although 88% of born-again Christians have heard of spiritual gifts, according to his latest survey, only 39% can identify a spiritual gift they believe they possess. A small proportion of adults are actively seeking to minister in ways which capitalize upon their giftedness. A small proportion of adults, pollster George Barna says. So, that's something for us to take seriously because it's a serious neglect of a lot of verses in the Word of God. Uh, there's about one verse that we go to we want to talk about uh, the inerrancy of the original writings of scripture and there are many books on that one verse and you go over them again and again and again but here is a, a doctrine that is in chapter after chapter in multiplied verses and yet uh, Christians by and large uh, do not Uh, understand or seemingly even care to understand 
So I'm glad that you are here because the fact that you are here says that you at least are interested. Now, there's a we're wanting to tie a lot together here tonight, so I'm going to move right into it. Make some put some overlays on and make some explanations and see if that will uh, help us. That chart on the screen uh, puts together in one picture <clears throat> the 16 spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Word of God. There are no more, there are no less that are mentioned in the Word of God. And uh, there are seven serving gifts and there are five speaking gifts. And those gifts, those twelve gifts, are given by God to the church for the purpose of building up the church. They are not given for unregenerate persons, they're given for regenerate persons, people who belong to Jesus Christ. There are four sign gifts that we will uh, spend some time on tomorrow evening from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that are miracles, healings, tongues, and interpretation. Those are specifically said in 1 Corinthians 14.22 to be not for believers but for the unbelievers as a, uh, a statement of the veracity of the uh, work of God and uh, specifically addressed to the nation of Israel that uh, was absolutely unopen to Jesus Christ when he came for his own people. John 1, 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And that was the situation with Israel. The priests and the judges were corrupt people who uh, did not uh, have any time for Jesus Christ. They wanted to crucify him and did. So we're not handling those this evening. But what we are seeking to do is take this 16 speaking and serving gifts and if you are here as a child of God you have at least one of those 16 you may have more there are multiple gifted people but you have at least one so having said what we said last night and given you the scripture passages to consult uh, if uh, you say, I don't have a spiritual gift, and you're sure of that, then I know one thing about you. You're not a Christian. Now, I don't know if you want to make that claim or not, but if you don't have a spiritual gift, you're not a Christian. Because every person, the Bible says, that knows Christ has at least a spiritual gift and perhaps more than one. So, what are some of those possibilities? Well, I had my son draw up some pictures so that we can uh, get a little humor into the thing. 
And uh, this is the first one I want to talk about from the speaking gifts. The gift of preaching. And in order to save you from confusion, I want to say that the word prophecy is used in different ways in the scripture. It's used for forthtelling and it's used for foretelling. In other words, a prophet not only foretold, he foretold. And he spent more time on foretelling than he did on foretelling. Uh, the, the prophet was a person who wanted to stir up the people into action. And he really blasted away at it. Sometimes harder than other, time, other times. And uh, uh, when we come to the New Testament, you have some New Testament prophets. But uh, primarily, the word prophecy is used in the sense of what we call preaching. And uh, it is the uh, God-given ability to set before people the word and wisdom of God persuasively through personality as a herald of truth. A... The picture then shows the guy preaching and the guy being knocked out of his seat by what he is receiving uh, from the preacher. And uh, you will find that this person will have these kinds of characteristics. There will be a strong emphasis on biblical authority. Now with just that one characterization, is there any well-known preacher today that right off the bat uh, you know that he has a gift of preaching. Anybody? How about this statement? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Recognize that? For about 50 years we have now. The Bible says, Billy Graham. Is Billy Graham a teacher? No, he's not a teacher. He's a preacher. Uh, you have never heard him expound a passage of scripture as such. In a message, uh, he is basically taking uh, salvation texts and uh, seeking to drive them home to people so that they will respond. As he's gotten older, he's gotten a little more mild, but when I went and responded 50 years ago, why he was, uh, he was really driving it home. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. That will be a characteristic of a preacher. There will be a strong emphasis on biblical authority. He will speak clearly. He will organize material well. But he will not get locked into the organization. Uh, he, is, he will not be concerned about footnotes, for example. Uh, he will not speak like theologians write books with uh, 150 footnotes at the end that he will happily use anybody's material uh, to, uh, to drive it home. Uh, he will encourage and challenge the people in matters of biblical conduct and he'll look for response and results and uh, he'll be comfortable in working with groups of people will be confident in what he says and ability to confront people when they are doing wrong. 
I remember watching Billy Graham on the David Frost show one time, and uh, the British uh, writer uh, said to him, I bet when you get up there in front of 100,000 people, that really, uh, you know, kind of scares you spitless. And uh, he said, no, no, that doesn't scare me at all. What really scares me is sitting here talking to you. He says, I, I, you know, he's not bothered by the crowd. That only gets his adrenaline going. But he is bothered by the person who's going to want to take an interview and probe him. So basically he is uh, uh, one proclaiming, he heralding. Now, there is a, uh, a second, uh, I should put these here in a way that you can see them in case you want to take down some notes. Prophecy or preaching in a simple statement is telling forth the word and wisdom of God. And by the way, in the Old Testament, the prophet receives that directly from God. There is what we call concursive action. There was a receiving and writing. So when the prophet wrote what he received, that was concursive. The, the writing came with the speaking of God. And in the New Testament... The prophet has already got the material. And so when a prophet or preacher speaks, he is getting his material to speak authoritatively from the authoritative written word of God. So we, we have a distinct advantage today that the Old Testament prophet did not have. Uh, we, we have it written up. And it is guaranteed by God to be without error. And therefore we say it is inerrant and consequently infallible. Those are not the same words. To be inerrant means to be without error. To be infallible means will not lead you into error. So the scripture is uh, truth. Uh, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It is the embodiment of truth. So that's the, the first one. And the emphasis there would be announcing a message. He's announcing a message. And uh, to go back to one man, to pick on him, uh, Billy Graham has preached the same message over and over and over and over again with different illustrations. Uh, but basically, uh, it is with the idea that the people will make a decision. Uh, what I've, what I've come to believe is that, you know, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, so I've got to watch myself. But uh, uh, I used to say to people, uh, to uh, how many want to make a decision to receive Christ? Within the last several years, I've tried to correct myself on that. Because I've come to realize we've got a whole... Uh, country of people, tens of thousands of them, who have some place, at some time, made a decision to believe and have never believed, because they were never given enough data to believe. Uh, it's, it's an important thing to understand that it's not just making a decision to believe, it's believing. 
And if the person does not have enough data about who Jesus the man is as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, if, uh, if they do not know that, then what they're believing may be far afield from anything that will give them eternal life. And that's why John makes it very clear. It's the only gospel, by the way, that gives a purpose statement for what it writes. And he says there, These signs were given. These seven signs that he gives in the book. These seven signs. That's evidential material. Any one of them was enough to demonstrate his deity. But he gave seven of them. Uh, these signs were given that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that they might persuade you that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the Messiah. The one who fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his first advent and will fulfill, fulfill many more than that in his second advent when he comes. So... Uh, if there was another word that I would use other than believe, which I would, very, I would hesitate to do, it would be persuasion. Uh, and that demands evidence. Uh, and sometimes we give people sad dog stories and everything else to believe and make a decision. No, that's not what it's all about. Uh, so a prophetic statement or a preaching announces a message taken authoritatively from the Word of God. Now, I have, secondly, on those speaking gifts, a um, gift of teaching. And uh, <clears throat> you can tell with all the contraptions that I've got up here that that's probably where I'm coming from. Uh, the, the teacher or the teaching, is the God-given ability to lay down in systematic order the complete ladder of a doctrine and to apply it incisively and diligently to life. That's teaching. And the, uh, the scripture puts a strong emphasis on teaching. Uh, the, the first church... To my Baptist friends, I like to say the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, but uh, I won't do that with you. <clears throat> but the First Church in Jerusalem uh, continued steadfastly, number one in what? The Apostles' teaching, the Apostles' doctrine. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could spend an hour warning you about what is happening today where we're moving away from that to just about anything else that will attract people. And we're in a dangerous position today. And that's exactly what Paul the Apostle prophesied would happen in his swan song, Second Timothy. That in the latter days, uh, people will have itch itching ears, something that tickles their uh, interest. And they will resist uh, the doctrine of the word, the doctrines of the word. So a teacher 
will give account, the one who has a biblical gift of teaching, uh, among other things, will give account at the Bema seat uh, of how he stewarded the gift that he had of teaching. And uh, so people who have the gift of teaching need to think that through very carefully. Uh, he will have an, a, a heavy emphasis on responsible action in the light of what is known. And he will have usually an ability to explain things clearly and concisely and uh, to summarize and evaluate or pick out the main points in a, in a uh, presentation quickly. He will set an example in behavior, a model for others. He will be careful in study. Like Paul told his young uh, mentee, Timothy, Timothy, study. Do your diligence to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, in my students, uh, uh, over the years, <clears throat> there has been a tendency to be uh, afraid when they're coming up to one of Rodmacher's exams. And I said, hey, don't fear me. Fear God. He's the one that's giving you the grade that lasts. Uh, mine makes very little difference ultimately. But what, the way God grades you makes all the difference in the world. And that's why that verse tells us to, to as workmen, means creating a sweat. Creating a sweat. Working hard at, rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, so, he will employ a logical system of approach to biblical study, etc., etc. If I were to summarize that in a simple word, it would be stabilizing. It has been said that the, the preacher... Uh, upsets the people and the teacher uh, corrects and he uh, gets them stabilized the uh, there's a yeah I, my wife remembers these things and I keep forgetting them oh, sure be good when I find out about this cure for Alzheimer's <laughs> He, uh, the preacher uh, disturbs the comfortable. And boy, do Christians in Southern California ever need disturbing? Uh, taken up. I, I can, you know, just being out there for one day, I can understand how you can really get accustomed to the good life and forget why on earth we're, we're on earth, you know. I'm making no no uh, personal applications here, but I I, I think it it really gets to you. I, just having come from Thailand a couple of weeks ago and and working with those people from countries that are all under persecution, it's such a different mentality. They they will do anything 
to get to a place where they can sit for hours and listen to the Word of God. And sitting on not comfortable pews, sitting on rocks up on a mountain someplace. And then they will go back to their group and and if the if the teacher has given them seven hours of teaching at one sitting, they will then turn around and find another twenty five people of their own and give what the teacher gave to them, he will give it to them. Amazing. I'm I'm so glad to hear that this church is a supporter of Jody Dillo. He he is one of the most visionary teachers out there. And uh, I serve on his board. And and if any of you happen to have a couple million dollars extra, uh, we could use it. uh, uh, Is this one guy right here? (laughs) I'll see him afterwards. Okay, he's got deep pockets. All right, uh, but uh, we're putting together an internet biblical seminary. Internet biblical seminary that has 27 courses, a full seminary curriculum in 13 languages, which basically covers about 95% of the people on earth. And I am so anxious to get that going. And we are going to supply it free online to pastors who have had no opportunity of training at all. In the 1040 window, what an opportunity we have in this day. So uh, I'm excited with that kind of teaching uh, that uh, Jody Dillo is providing for us. Um, the teacher then is one who stabilizes yeah, the, the preacher disturbs the comfortable and the teacher seeks to comfort the disturbed. We need both of those. You need to get upset with the world situation and with America uh, and the direction we're going. It's mind-boggling. We ought to really be upset. And, uh, but, not crazy. We need to be stabilized. But it, need, it, it needs to come in there so we will have our focus. Well, I, I've got to keep moving or I'll never get through this. My tendency is to give a message on each one. And I need to move on. Skip a few things and move on through. When I asked him to do the teacher, he uh, he drew a picture of me and said, uh, "He's got the overhead projector there." And uh, and I, I first thing I did when I became uh, president of Western Seminary back in 1962 was to buy an overhead projector. They had just come out uh, for every faculty member. And uh, they, they used them like they were an electronic blackboard. They never really did learn how to use them because we didn't give them enough teaching in how to use them. But uh, uh, we, we have so many things today for bringing the truth into visual uh, 
uh, opportunity. And so the, uh, the teacher is uh, the one who's working with a blackboard or a whiteboard, as the case may be, and he's working with a projector or with, with uh, uh, other kinds of machinery that we have been given today. <clears throat> there are three more speaking gifts. And uh, the third one, by the way, here's a better looking picture of me I, as a teacher. Uh, there's Billy Graham, the Bible says. And then the teacher, the Bible teaches us that, and away he goes. Uh, preaching, teaching. The third speaking gift is exhortation. Uh, we won't take the time to go into an uh, examination of the possibilities of the Greek text for that word. We'll just take what I believe is the way to go right now. Uh, the, this is the paraclete gift. It's the, the, the work uh, of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside uh, para means alongside, kaleo means to call, and so parakaleo means to call alongside, uh, that therefore the Spirit of God is called the paraclete, the one whom God has called alongside uh, to be with us. And uh, that is a, a very, very significant ministry. When, well, let me back up a minute. When you think of a, a fine, fine preacher in the Word of God, in the New Testament, what name might you think of? As a teacher, Paul, okay? Uh, when you think of a preacher, who would you think of? Well, yes, very good, but perhaps better known would be Peter and his Pentecostal message, but certainly Apollos would be a very cultivated uh, preacher of the word. Uh, when you think of a, a, an exhorter, a, an encourager, who do you think of in the scripture? Barnabas, yeah. And uh, my wife knows what's going to come up next. I <laughs> You shouldn't stick out your tongue, honey. That's not nice. <laughs> She's, uh, I said, uh, well, you know, have you, ever, have you ever done much thought with respect to uh, Joseph in Acts chapter 4? And she said, Joseph? There's no Joseph there. I said, yes, there is. And she said, no, there isn't. And I could see that that wasn't going to lead to uh, a good time. And uh, so I said, well, let's look at it in the end of Acts 4. Uh, and Joseph, or Joseph, who was also named Barnabas. Oh, she said, you mean Barnabas. I said, no, I mean Joseph. Joseph was his name. Barnabas was his gift. 
translated son of encouragement. What a neat thing. You want to you be visionary for a moment? Wouldn't it be a fantastic thing if everybody in your church could manifest their spiritual gifts so well that you could name them by their gift? Just go right down the the line of the seas and name the person because you've seen it in action you can name it well that was Barnabas whose name was Joseph but he used his gift so well they called him by his gift rather than his name boy what a vision and consequently when when they had trouble that they needed to solve up in Antioch who did they call on to solve it Barnabas the encourager to put things together up there. And he's always thinking about encouraging. And so uh, on his way over there, he remembers Saul of Tarsus, who, after he got converted, tried to come to Jerusalem and have a ministry there. And boy, they just about rode him out on a rail, this Christian killer. And uh, so he takes off. And goes back home to Tarsus, way over there in Eastern Asia Minor. And yeah, when I when I got into the Rutherford's car and I saw that map up on the dashboard that was showing me exactly where we were and how fast we were moving down the freeway, that was phenomenal, isn't it? Wow, that must have been what Paul did. He pulled out his map. And no, he didn't do that, did he? He didn't have nearly what we have. Uh, but Barnabas says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get... That was no small thing to think about. I'm going to go get Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and take him to church with me. <laughs> Hello! Fantastic thing. And they go to church together for a year. And after a year, the... Uh, picture gets reversed when they went there it was Barnabas and Saul after a year it was Paul and Barnabas that went out together you see a person who has a gift of encouragement is not going to be up in the front as much as a teacher he's going to be behind the scenes putting the pieces together so you need a preacher who upsets you and perhaps even gets you mad sometimes because of your lethargy or whatever it is. But then you need a teacher to stabilize. And, and then you need an encourager like Barnabas to, uh, to pull it all together. You see, we need one another. We don't just need a teacher. We don't just need an encourager. We don't just need a preacher. We need all of them. And uh, Pastor and I have uh, talked a little bit about maybe some ways that uh, more voices could be heard like that in training. Tremendous possibilities. So... I have put this uh, definition up here very briefly. It's one called alongside to help, a counselor. 
a comforter. Or, more extensively, issuing forth words of love from the Word of God, which enable a person to be elevated to a higher level in intimacy with Jesus Christ, which obviously is our, our goal. We're seeking to move on to higher ground in Christ. So you have three speaking gifts there. And then you have a... a well, I, I've got to give you the, the other one on... Uh, on exhortation or encouragement. I think this one is great. <clears throat> this guy is so low down, if it weren't for that skate, he'd wear his chin out. And uh, here's the guy, the comforter, who says, uh, Cheer up, our God is omnicompetent. And those aren't just words for him. They are reality. Tremendous. So, we... Uh, we have the exhorter. There's something wrong with this one, by the way. I wonder if any of you can tell me what is what is wrong with that one. Pardon me? My, my son needs to learn how to spell better, doesn't he? <laughs> but isn't that good? <laughs> Higher spiritual ground. Exhortation. Yes, Lord, we need that person. Uh, Pastor Arch and I were arguing last night about what his gift is. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, he is a... A people, a person, a, an encourager. That's really what he wants to do. But I'm not going to tell him that until he takes the inventory, so that we will we will know for sure. Uh, there are two more speaking gifts: the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge, and the word of wisdom. Well, we've got all kinds of guys running around. They've got a word of knowledge for you. Help us all. We need them like we need another hole in the head. What we need today is for people who are deep students. And I, I've tried to picture these. Uh, well, let me read it first. Inexhaustible patience in ferreting out all the factors which relate to a particular subject and organizing, systematizing, and making them beautifully available for somebody else to use. Uh, pardon? Yeah. And uh, in my in my experience, uh, one man came to me who looked like anything but this kind of a man. And I suppose in my arrogance, I didn't pay much attention to him. But my, oh my, this was a man who was... You know the work of Johnston Cheney, don't you? The Life of Christ in Stereo. The only man that has ever effectively woven together every word of the Gospels without leaving one word out or adding one word in to make the story complete and without contradiction. That started in a 
religious university. University was started as a Christian university. And he went there because his dad had gone there, Johnston Cheney, who was from Oakland, California before he uh, passed on. And uh, his Greek professor in this college was brilliant. And uh, he, uh, he convinced him that there were mistakes in the Gospels. And uh, the more he listened to the Greek professor, the more convinced he became of, of the truth of his claim. And he began to think, if there are mistakes in the Gospels, then I don't have a, an unmistaken life of Christ, which is the epitome of revelation. And if I don't have that, what do I have to preach? And if I don't have anything to preach, why don't I get out of the ministry? And that's what he did. I thought that was the honest thing to do. Uh, I, I've got to say that when uh, one of my finest buddies in the doctoral uh, program type at, uh, at uh, Dallas was Bruce Walkey, who headed up the doctoral program for 18 years. I think he was probably head of the doctoral program when you were at Dallas. And, and a dear, dear man. Did his doctorate at, uh, at Dallas and then decided to go and take another one at uh, Harvard. And, and uh, when he got through, they wanted him to come on the faculty at Harvard. And uh, he said, no, I... And the head of the department could not understand. He said, you're going back to Dallas when I offer you a position at Harvard? And uh, he said, yes, yes. He says, why would you do that? He said, because I believe the word of God. And uh, the professor, whose name will remain unnamed, uh, said, damn it, Walkie, that's what's wrong with you. You know the Bible, and I know the Bible, and you believe it, and I don't. Head of the school, the divinity school at Harvard at that time. Uh, well, that happened to Johnston Cheney. Not quite in the same words. And he left the ministry. And uh, through the ministry of an encourager, Walter Benwell Henson, who was then pastor of the Eastside Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon. This is back in the 20s when he was there. And uh, he, he worked with Cheney and got him back into fellowship again. But he realized now after the First World War, there was not the GI Bill like there was after the Second World War. And... Uh, so he couldn't afford, he didn't think to go back and get training, and so he thought, I'll be a good layman. And he'd have to get a job, and he got a job to work his way through. And uh, it, uh, he did so well in that job that they made him the district supervisor of wherever aluminum cookware 
They brought him down to Oakland. He got down to Oakland and he he got a double whammy of uh, tuberculosis that was obviously uh, pulmonary tuberculosis and what they called galloping consumption. It moved fast and they told him he was going to die. And he said to his wife, before I die, would you bring me my Bible and a scrapbook and a pair of scissors? He said, I'd like to work on correcting some of that stuff that was thrown at me in that, quote, Christian university that I now have come to believe there's a resolution to it. And he said, uh, so I'd like, to, before I die, to be able to solve some of those, some 800 problems that were thrown at him. And uh, he, that little hobby, he would cut the Gospels apart piece by piece and interweave the, the words. And uh, that little hobby lasted for seven years in that deathbed during which time he not only did that but he memorized the gospels in Greek why do I share this with you this is a good example of a word of knowledge person they go deep 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 into the word of God and uh, that's why I pictured him like this he's got thick glasses and he's got books on both sides of him and he is studying. I had a man alongside of me who was our dean, our academic dean at Western, Bob Cook, uh, who would not be the flashiest conference speaker, but he was just as solid in the text as you could get. And I could trust anything he came up with. That's a, a real precious uh, gift. And, uh, well, Jonathan Cheney was like that. And after seven years, he got up out of that deathbed. And, uh, and as a layman, he had a Sunday school class. And, and uh, he never had very many people in it because there weren't enough people that could go as deep as he was going. But he'd have uh, a half a dozen or less in the class that could really resonate with him. And uh, then he worked on that for 16 more years. until he had woven together every word of the Gospels in his own translation from the Greek without leaving one word out or adding one word in to make the story complete and without contradiction. I would challenge any of you to find four biographies of any human being that you can do that to. Uh, get Richard Milhouse Nixon. Get four biographies and try to weave them together. Or uh, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis or whatever. Uh, you can't do it. It's impossible. The only reason that could be done is because they are inerrant in their original writing. And he did what no human being had done. And he never had a position as a professor. He was a layman. But he used his God-given gift. He had an insatiable desire to find out exactly what it said and be faithful to the text. 
That is something else. The uh, word of knowledge. It's not some freakish kind of thing like we hear today where I got a word from God. Well, then make it the 67th book of the Bible or shut up. Because it is, it is inerrant and infallible if it is a word from God. God has spoken. He is not speaking. He has spoken. And He has said enough for all that we need today. Well, I, if I'm not careful, I'll start preaching here and I don't want to get, get out of line. The fifth uh, spiritual speaking gift is just the opposite of the gift of the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge person is not really all that interested in application, application. What this person really uh, wants here is application. The word of wisdom. What is the word of wisdom? It is the ability to apply knowledge. Let me... uh, put that on for you. I thought I had an overlay of that here. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah. If you had the, the word of knowledge guy dealing with the phrase, love thy neighbor... You would have him digging deeply into the various words for love, and agape, and phileo, and eros, and so forth. And he'd go through all the lexicons, and dictionaries, and concordances, and he'd collate it and make an inexhaustible thing like that. Kind of guys that write dictionaries, and, and write concordances, and etc. And I thank God for those guys. I thank God that I'm not one of them. And... Uh, but I need them. Oh, I need them. And you need them. And you, you, you won't be any kind of a Bible student if you don't at least have a full, exhaustive con- uh, concordance of your Bible. And perhaps throw in W.E. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Words and some of those things. And thank God for people who spent years putting those things together. I... Uh, just in our study Bible, Ron Allen and and, uh, and uh, Wayne House and I, uh, as the editors, spent ten years and developed nine thousand pages of notes. Uh, that's an exhaustive kind of thing, uh, and there are people who give themselves to that, but they're not the applicational people. They're, they're not really in. They don't. They, they want to know what it says. You figure out what the application is. Well, this is the application person. This is the wisdom person. And here's the practical application of it. Love thy neighbor. He sees that there. And they say, whoa, my land. Here's a guy who's got a torn jacket. He's cold. I've got a couple coats here. You take my coat. That's, that's what love means, isn't it? It's, it's caring about those who don't have adequate clothes for warmth, who don't have adequate food. And we have people today, Lord, I want to see you, Lord. I want to hear you, Lord. I want to touch you, Lord. 
And if God were speaking today, get out of the megaphone and say, would you read my book? There's a way you can do that. And when he told them that, he remembers, well, when did we, uh, when did we see you naked and clothe you? And, and when did we, we see you homeless and provide lodging for you? Or when did we see you hungry and gave you food? And what was his answer? You tell me. Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You want to, you want to touch Jesus? Touch those he loves. Quit crying about, I want to touch Jesus. Go and touch Jesus by touching those people that Jesus loves. And I guarantee you, Jesus will manifest himself to you. John 14, 21. If you keep my commandment, if you love me, keep my commandment. And my Father will love you. And I will love you. And we will manifest ourselves to you. Judas, not Iscariot, didn't get that. And he said, Lord, would you please run that through once more? And so he ran it through again. If anybody who loves me will keep my commandment, we will love them and we will make our home with them. Want to have Christ meet, make your home with him? With you? Love the people he loves. There's no, there's no big secret about it. I guess I'm a little exercised. Well, there are five... There are five speaking gifts. Preaching, teaching, exhorting, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. And if you've got a speaking gift, you've got one of those. If you've got a speaking gift. More rapidly... Oh, I hate clocks. And they always have to put them right in the middle of the back wall where you have to look at it. But in addition to uh, those five speaking gifts, we have seven serving gifts. Faith, discernment, helps, mercy, management, leadership, giving. Uh, and if you have a serving gift, you have one of those seven. Let's look briefly at them. The first one is the gift of faith. Uh, everybody has faith. And in a sense, everybody has some of what is in all of these. And that inventory is not telling you that there's just one gift out there that you might participate in. It simply is telling you where you are gifted to peak. In my case, I am a multiple gifted person. I find by experience. Uh, my primary gift is teaching. A secondary gift is preaching. And that is subordinate to the teaching. A third gift is administration. I'll never forget when Western got accreditation and the 
vice president of the University of Idaho was on the, leading the team and he gave some very complimentary things about the administration. And I said, well, how do you answer that? I said, I, I have never had a course in administration in my life. And from this fine administrator, it was interesting to hear. He said, administration is not a course, it's a gift. <laughs> how about that? And... Uh, God bless. We had the fastest ratio of growth of any seminary in America, or maybe in the world, for 10 years. 20% per year. It's amazing what God can do if we'll uh, get with the thing that he has gifted us with. The person who has the gift of faith, I tell Bill Bright, that he, he didn't care about talking about gifts. Let's just win the world of Christ. That's all that's important. And... Uh, I, I, I said, you, you know, you've got the gift of faith. I'll never forget it. Expo 72. We, we were in Dallas, Texas. We were going to win Dallas, Texas to Christ. And uh, we had, uh, we had uh, the cotton bowl. It rained like crazy. Nobody was bothered at all by that. We just sat there in the mud and, uh, and listened to the various speakers that were coming through. And the night before this thing happened... Uh, um, I did, didn't you tell me Paul Eshelman went here? He spoke here. He spoke here, yeah. He, he's, he's the administrator, the organizer, the manager. You know, and uh, he can put everything together. But there's a limit to that. And uh, Bill said, we're going to have 150,000 people here. Oh, my land. The night before, at the Texas Stadium, he's pulling his hair out. And he says, the, where in the world are we going to put the cars? A visionary of faith doesn't care about that. Park them on the freeway from Dallas to Fort Worth. Who cares where you're going to put the cars? We're going to have 150,000 people. And with people using their gifts, and Paul Eshelman organizing, and Bill with faith uh, having vision of it, and etc., etc. You could go to any restaurant in town, and they would think a miracle took place. People would come in, they'd be late serving you, and they didn't, they didn't grouse about it. They said, I've never seen this before. God met with us in Dallas, Texas. And uh, they, they had buses taking us to all kinds of locations to speak and teach. And I never missed an appointment. It's amazing. And there was nobody mad about anything. Uh, man, faith, the gift of faith. That there had to be somebody up front announcing that but for every person that has a gift of faith you need a thousand people that have the gift of helps so God don't give us too many people with uh, the gift of faith but give us enough to keep us moving so you've got faith that doesn't look at the impossibilities that's where most of the rest of us look but they can see nothing but opportunities. They don't look at problems. They're the same kind of people we are. Do they know the problems are there? Yes. Only they're not yours. Right? They're your favorite guy, honey. Yeah. What's his, that golden boy's name? Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Uh, some of us are Eeyores. That's all right. We need those two. Uh, They've always got a cloud over their head and so on and so forth. Put up with them. Uh, faith. Faith. 
Oh my, how we need to have those people active. And then, so to get this in the written form here, the gift of vision for enablement. Enablement. If things aren't going forward the way you think they ought to, then find out who in your church has a gift of faith. And listen to him. Don't, don't look to one man for that. That's a, a disease we've got today. Nobody has all 16 gifts. Nobody even has all 12 gifts. Look in the mirror and see what yours is. The mirror of the Word of God, that is. So, faith is the gift of enablement. In the midst of impossibilities, fantastic resources can be seen in God. And that was the kind of man that Bill Bright was. The opposite of that is the gift of discernment. Uh, That's my wife. Uh, And boy, she runs into somebody that she thinks is a phony. I mean, I can talk till I'm blue in the face to get her to have a right attitude toward that person. She just has a nasty attitude toward them, you know. <laughs> Not really, but she's, I've, I've learned it's, it's a pretty good idea to listen to her when she thinks somebody is a phony. And uh, so it's the ability to discern a false spirit from a true spirit. Spot a phony. By the way, I've run into people who say they have the gift of discernment and they, they know God's will for your life. No, no, no. That's not what this is all about at all. Uh, this is the ability to spot a phony. And so I said, Tim, how are you going to picture that? Well, here's the way he did it. Uh, the first faux church. <laughs> the... The, land, the sheep's mask on the wolf. Beware of them. They're all around. And they're in church clothes. We've got them today. And this is the gift of the protector of the church. And I, if I were to calculate the numbers, the, the numbers at this point, in my experience, are mostly with women. And I don't know whether it's a sixth sense for them or what, but... Uh, most of the people that I know with a gift of discernment of spirits uh, are women. I, I think just generally men tend to be taken in more. Uh, the next two gifts are, are a pair. Uh, the gift of helps and the gift of mercy. The gift of helps and the gift of mercy. <sighs> helps is the most underrated gift in the church. Because it doesn't seem as spectacular as some of the others. But you need thousands of people in a large church with the gift of helps. The person who's just ready to be there to do whatever needs to be done that's within the range of his talent or ability to do. And they're just always always volunteering. Some people... We'll do the we'll do the thing grudgingly, but the person with the gift of hope helps is looking to be used. How can I help? How can I help? 
being available to do the thing that needs to be done in accord with the ability that he has. That's almost a straight statement from First Peter chapter 4. So, we've got a picture of him here. Let me help you. Future home of whatever church. Available to help. I've got a son-in-law like that. He just... He almost can't help himself helping. He just uh, is there to help. And my sons are ready to let him do it. (laughs) Then there's a gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is like the gift of help, only the gift of mercy is people-related rather than task-oriented. The person with the gift of help will therefore meet needs in a different way than a person with a gift of mercy will meet them. Uh, my, my middle son is an attorney in, in uh, Portland, and when he and his bride were about to be married, my wife, always with her, uh, wanting to do nice things for people, she loaned them her little sport car. It's got a moon window. And... Uh, uh, or a sun window. I don't know what it is. I think it's a moon window. And it depends on where you are, I guess. And uh, so he says, uh, she loaned it to him. Came back and the moon window was broken. I said, honey, John broke the window and brought it back broken. And uh, she, oh no, he didn't. It's always been that way. Hey, wait a minute. It didn't come from the factory broken. You know, it got broken someplace. And John did it. No, 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 no. It's always been that way. No, No problem. No problem. Well, she's got mercy. I don't. And uh, so, and all of my students will tell you that. And so, uh, but that, that helps to moderate me a little bit. See, I... I go for the juggler vein and she wants to pull my arm back. And so I went, I went to John Nicer then because of her. I didn't, you know, you broke the window, you nitwit. That would never be right, by the way. Uh, but I said, John, when you park the car up there at Sedona in one of those parking lots, a lot of thieves around there, did somebody try to get into the car and they sprung that window? Oh, no, Dad. He said, I, I couldn't get it shut, and so I just got on top of the car and pushed down on it. Oh, thank you, thank you. $250 later, I know what happened. And, uh, but merciful, over here, no problem at all. No problem, life is too short to have a problem over that. Let's just pay the bill and get it fixed. Then there are two... There are two um, administrative gifts. One of them is management, and the other is leadership. They are both administrative. They're very different. They're just as different as helps and mercy. Uh, for for uh, ruling or management, the capability in managing the work of God so that efficiency is the result. So that you have here the manager 
He's got his charts on the wall. He's got the things lined up. He's got everything in order. And uh, tremendous. And you need that kind of a person who, who's got it all put together and can help. I'm just about to the end, Pastor. And uh, on the other side of the gift of administration is leadership. The person who has the administrative gift of leadership is the one who brings people together. He manages people well. The gift, uh, the administrative gift of management is, is organizing things well. Two very different gifts, but they're both administrative. So ask yourself if you have an administrative gift, is your gift uh, bringing the people together to work together? Or is your gift bringing the things together? A lot of engineers are in that uh, one of management of, of things. Uh, by the way, I, I've got to tell you this one. We were at a, a senior's uh, spiritual gift conference up in, in Arkansas. And, and uh, it was fun to have these seniors work through. Because, you know, they think they know everything. And, and uh, so there was this... Uh, a guy who was an engineer married to a woman who didn't think she had a gift. Been married for years. And uh, he kept telling her, yeah, you have a gift. She said, no, I don't. I don't have any gift. You've got a gift. Uh, as she could see his engineering work and his administrative ability of managing things, etc., etc. But she didn't have anything. We put him through the spiritual gift inventory. And her mercy gift went off the chart. And he said, see, that's what I told you. You have a gift of mercy. It doesn't show up like the management. And they, they like to win on a second honeymoon. These are senior citizens. It, it, I've never had that happen before. What brought a marriage together when they stopped arguing about their giftedness or lack of it. And uh, so management and leadership are two very strategic ones there. And then finally... There is the gift of giving. Now it's time for the offering. No, not really. Everybody ought to give, and that's and everybody ought to do the kinds of things that are here, but specialize in what your gift is. Don't specialize in what your gift isn't. Be available to help where where you, you can, and there's not a person with that gift there, but uh Giving uh, is, uh, is not the normal giving that people do. It's so using the material resources God has given that they are multiplied efficiently for the extension of God's work. And man, I have seen people that uh, God has used, and I'll never forget Dr. Harold Ockengay, who was with a uh, seminary here in the Los Angeles area for a time, and, and then... Uh, pastor back there in, in, uh, in Boston, and he told me that he had a woman in his church who was a scrub woman in the skyscrapers of New York, but she was so careful and so, uh, well, so, use, so, so carefully using her gift of giving that God multiplied her resources 
to the point that she was at one time supporting 300 missionaries. Scrub woman. You know, wouldn't it be interesting if we really trusted God uh, with our gift and used it and believed Him? How much he might, we, we, you know, we, we scratch and so claw to, to get more, to get more. Maybe if we just believe God and use the gift we've got, we would be surprised out of our socks at what God would be pleased to do. And that's what the Philippian church did, by the way. And Paul writes to the Corinthians two chapters on the Philippian church. We've got people who misuse that Philippians 1.6 to make it talking about the gospel. And it's not talking about the gospel. And I'm guilty. I used to do that. Uh, in fact, we sang a song uh, along that line. Honey, help me out on it. The song uh, on Philippians 1.6. Uh, oh, come on. Uh, you're failing me, sweetie. What Philippians 1 and 6? Pardon me? Say it loud, Pastor. He who began a good work in you will perform it until that day. And what is the good gift? People want to make that the gospel. Not the gospel. Just check, do a, do a word study on Philippians. It's the word koinonia. It's the, it's the mutual, deep, mutual sharing, and specifically financial sharing. And then when he writes up this church in, in, in Corinthians, he says, I bear them record. They gave beyond their ability to give. Have you met churches like that? Gave beyond their ability? Why? They knew a good investment. They thought, man, this Paul... She's worth investing in. And they gave and gave and gave. And, and guess what? Philippians 4.19 comes in after that. And everybody wants to grab Philippians 4.19. Which says what? Yeah. Do I have a right to take that? Not necessarily. He is making that promise to a church who had given generously out of their poverty. There aren't many people I know like that. But the kind of person that does that will receive according to God's riches from Him who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold and silver in every mine. Well, I'm only six minutes over. Arch, that's not too bad. And they've got another meeting now, quickly. So we got to leave. But, uh, honey, I saw your hand. If you will, if you, those of you who want to get the inventory and use it and do it tonight, it'll take you a couple of hours. Uh, and then you bring it back tomorrow. She will run it through the program tomorrow and bring it to the service tomorrow night. And uh, that'll be handy. You don't have to do that. You can send it to us, but that would be handy and convenient here. So, oh, this this is fraught with so much potential. If we could just get up off our tokus and get with it. Now let's pray.
Stand with me. Father, it's, it's been fun to be here tonight with these people. Uh, I have been beating them up, Lord, and, and they've been... T- Thank you that as I look out over this group, it is loaded with potential that only you really know about, Lord. And it must, it must strain all of your patience, knowing what could be if we would just obey. Oh, Lord, help us to do what we sing. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. As we go, will you sing that with me? When we walk with the Lord in the light of